Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Welcome to Better Than Before. Tony Richards here along with Chief Producer Bill. This is the CEO Leaders Podcast Show where we have one clear objective. We provide tools, information, and some entertainment to make you better than before. Thank you so much for subscribing because you get a little alert on your device or on your laptop every time we drop a new episode each and every Tuesday. And on the show today, we're going to be talking about sales and sales management. I don't know if you ever watch Shark Tank, but there are entrepreneurs that come out, talk about how much potential their idea has and how cool their gadget works. Invariably, the, one of the first or second questions that the investors on Shark Tank will ask is, tell me about your sales. Tell me about your sales over the last year or tell me about your sales over the last month. And that's where the rubber meets the road. And a lot of times that's where contestants on Shark Tank get tripped up because they think they're answering cleverly when they say I'm pre-revenue, which means no sales. And so you can't exist for very long in a company without sales. You can exist for a little while being cash flow negative, but you can't exist for very long. That's like saying a body can exist without blood. It can't. It needs blood pumping through the heart to be circulated through the body, giving life to every part of that body. That's what cash revenue does to a company. You pump it through your company and it gives life to every department, every employee, every bit of your facilities, and it helps you operate. And without that revenue, you don't have any blood in your company. And so your company slowly but surely dies. So you've got to make sure that you get quality salespeople to make sure that they can do what they need to do, which is get customers for your company and close business and bring in revenue to keep the company going. Now, there are three things that I think are really important when you're bringing in salespeople. And one is you have to establish trust because as a manager, your job is to provide your team members with resources they need to do their jobs, as well as the knowledge they need to develop their skills. One of the most important resources you can provide is trust. And you've probably heard me before say that trust makes everything go faster. Speed increases when there's more trust and cost decrease when there's more trust. When there's not as much trust, everything slows down, which means everything costs more. So you have to establish trust with that salesperson. You got to be able to teach them some things concerning your industry. If they're a really good salesperson, they will invest in themselves. They will constantly always be learning. They'll be going to trainings and things of that nature. If you have to push for that, if you have to push for that salesperson to invest in themselves, get coaching, get training, get information, then you probably got the wrong salesperson. But you have to trust them. In other words, the mistake a lot of people will make is they will overmanage sales. They will micromanage sales. And that creates distrust and it creates uh, the feeling that you constantly got somebody looking over your shoulder. If you're going to put that much effort into it, you might as well be selling it yourself and save the salary. Second thing is you got to be a good goal setter. 
So if you're going to add all the best salespeople you can find, there has to be a cooperation of goal setting between you and them. So you need regular one-on-one meetings to make sure that goals are important and goal attainment and achievement are happening. And you should allow your team the freedom to do their job in the way they will be most successful. Because if you're hiring a really good salesperson, they're going to be self-motivated and they're going to have a routine that they have that has worked for them in the past. And you're going to see results really, really quickly. If you don't see results pretty quickly, then you may have the wrong person. And then number three, you got to make sure you have a good hiring process. So if you're going to add all the great salespeople you can find, you have to make sure your hiring process is what it needs to be. You need to have a benchmark for the position. You need to know what is important. You need to know what are the most important motivations this person needs to have in order to be successful. What are the behaviors they need to exhibit to make sure they're going to be successful? What are the skills and the competencies that they need to possess in order to be successful. And we help companies create those benchmarks all the time. So we were very skilled at it. We're very good at it. And then we pre-screen applicants to make sure that we have a match so that you can reduce your risk and increase your chances of success in hiring the best person. So if you're going to add all the best salespeople you can find, you need to have a stellar hiring process that you don't get away from, that you stay absolutely zen-like about that you keep in place to make sure that you have a match to get the best person. So if you want to know what you should be doing in your company right now, never miss an opportunity to add a great salesperson. If you get a good one and a great one, as I've been mentioning, they will be good return on your investment. They pay for themselves and they create additional revenue. Our sales discussion is just beginning. Stay tuned to hear a few sales experts when we come back. Better Than Before is sponsored by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. We fit a lot of life into our Subaru Forester. Over the years, we trusted it to carry and protect the things that were most important to us. We always knew we had a lot of life ahead of us. That's why we chose a car we knew would be there for us through it all. Welcome to the all-new 2019 Subaru Forester, the SUV for all you love. Test drive one today at University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. From here, been here, always will be here. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant, it doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control, but that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com Welcome back to Better Than Before. Over the past few seasons, I've had the pleasure of speaking with sales experts from around the country that work with companies to cultivate high-performance sales teams and managers. 
Last year, I spoke with Jason Forrest, CEO of Forrest Performance Group and a sales coach about turning your salespeople into sales warriors. What it takes to become a sales warrior, I think as a lot of business owners think about their organizations and their sales teams, they wish their salespeople had a warrior-like mindset. So how'd you come up with this concept? Well, I came up with the concept because I, I wanted, when I started my company 10 years ago, my goal was to bring back the pride, purpose, and respect to professional selling. And, you know, if you think about it, you know, when, when, when you ask the average person, what do you think of when you think of a salesperson, you know, they say all these negative things. But the reason why they say those things is because we've unfortunately not trained salespeople how to be professional. And so that was really my idea was how, how do we create a model that liberates salespeople to be salespeople from an assertive perspective, not a aggressive perspective, but the top 1% of salespeople, they are very assertive in their approach. There's actually a lot of research that says that the majority of salespeople, about 80% have a high need to be liked versus the top 20% do not have that need. They have a high need to be respected and their ultimate goal is to actually achieve a resolution. And so when you think of a warrior, a warrior is someone who goes in there and liberates people from whatever fear or whatever worry is happening out there. And so our simple definition of warrior selling is our overall philosophy, I guess the better way to say it is all human beings move away from pain and toward life improvement. And a sales warrior believes their mission is to liberate them from any indecision. Mm, I like it. And so part of the way you get this instilled into these uh, sales warriors is you build the culture, right? And the culture is made up of building blocks called the code. And so this is uh, based on uh, some Japanese samurai stuff, right? <laughs> yes. The samurai lived by what's called the Bushido. And the Bushido uh, is basically translated into English as the way of the warrior. And so it's just their their way. I mean, our modern day version of that would be like the the constitution. It's so it's it's these guiding principles or back in the you know the old testament times, it could be the commandments, right? So it's just some sort of filtering mechanism to say this is the way that we need to run things. And so if you really want to create a culture of sales warriors, then it, it it's more than just teaching the right behaviors to your salespeople. It's also teaching the right behaviors to their sales manager. And it's also creating the right systems and processes inside the culture to, again, support whatever endeavor that you're, you're doing. One of the virtues you mentioned uh, in this code or framework uh, is courage. And so how do you build that into the culture as a sales manager? That's a great question. So, I mean, the most important thing to do with any human being is to understand their outcome frame. First thing you got to do is you got to understand, you got to get position of strength when it comes to the person you're coaching, which is real simple. You basically just need to talk to the salesperson you're coaching or any employee and you say, tell me exactly what you're trying to accomplish, you know, by when. So what are your goals? How much money do you want to make? And then of course, why, why is that important to you? The why must always be greater than the sacrifice they're having to make. So if they're wanting to, wanting to give themselves a, you know, a 20% pay raise, what are they going to do differently and what are they going to sacrifice in order to get that? And then, of course, the third question is how. So how are you going to get there? What's the process pattern and strategy that needs to happen in order to get the results that you need? And then the fourth question is whose coaching do you need? So where are you stuck? Whose help do you need? Uh, what resources do you need? What training do you need? What knowledge, et cetera, do you need? 
So once you figure out that outcome frame, you know, then you figure out obviously where are they stuck and which comes to that fourth question. And one of the areas they might be stuck in has to do with courage, has to do with being bold. You know, we actually have developed a formula that everyone can write down right now that's trademarked and it's performance equals knowledge minus leashes. P equals K minus L. So knowledge is the, the skills you give a salesperson to perform. Leashes are any limiting belief that holds them back. So like that would be courage, for example. Well, a simple way to understand the formula in a training session, let's say you train every salesperson to demonstrate courage by asking every customer, what is holding you back from choosing us? A very simple question, right? Tony, just what, what is holding you back from choosing us? Uh, what advantages does the competition have over us? What can we do to, you know, to win your business? What, what would give you that certainty that says we're right? So what's holding you back from choosing us? Well, majority of salespeople don't ask that question. And if they do, they don't ask it every time. And so then you would want to figure out well, what are the leashes? What stops them from asking that question a hundred percent of the time? And that's where you drill down. That's where you coach is those specific leashes. And those leashes would be, well, it all depends on the customer or it depends on the timing or it depends on where I am in the process, or it depends on if all decision makers are present or so many other factors. That's the resistance to the courage. And so if you want them to have more courage, then you've got to figure out what is the resistance or the leashes that's preventing them from having that courage. I'm sure uh, pre-qualifying would be a leash, right? They, they attempt to answer the question themselves instead of asking it. Correct. Yeah. So one of our belief systems is your job as a salesperson is actually to uh, treat every buyer as though they can buy, not that they can't buy. And so to see every buyer as you're absolutely capable of purchasing this and I'm going to assume that you can, you know, I mean, that's the idea of business to business selling, especially is that, I mean, the number one objection that we get when it comes to training is we don't have a budget for this. Okay. Well, that's because you currently don't believe that if you give your salespeople additional skills and resources and coaching, that that will actually increase profitable sales. You believe right now that in order to make more sales, you need more innovation, you need better product, better features, you need better marketing, better customers. And so, but once we convince them, this is also part of their strategy. Well, then of course they find the budget, right? That's the ideas. I mean, I, I just, I assume everyone can buy until they stop the sale. Another thing that I noticed that I think business owners would be really interested in or organizations would be really interested in is the aspect of loyalty that you build into this code. Yeah. You know, so loyalty to me is obviously huge. And if, if you guys can kind of picture a pyramid at the lowest level of loyalty for any employee, and this is not just a sales thing, it's an employee thing. At the lowest level of loyalty is they're loyal to a paycheck. So they're loyal to the amount of money that you're going to give them. And, and I'm not, uh, I mean, that's still very important. People have to feel like they're getting paid enough uh, to feed their family and that it's worth what you're asking them to do. So that is still a very important level of loyalty. The next level of loyalty is they're loyal to, the brand, they're loyal to your company brand and what you stand for and your mission, vision, values, and where you're trying to go and that sort of thing. The third level of loyalty is they're loyal to the C-suite. So they're loyal to the CEO, the COO, the president, basically the overall leadership direction. You know, we've won best place to work three years in a row now in Fort Worth. And that's a common question that's always asked, right? Is, you know, what level of certainty do you have in the, the leadership team that they're heading in the right direction? So that's a, still a very important question when it comes to loyalty. The fourth level of loyalty is loyal to your department head, which think of it as your like direct supervisor, your coach. You know, a Gallup research says that people 
uh, will leave managers before they leave companies. And so that loyalty of your boss is very important. Well, the final level of loyalty is loyalty to your peers. And really, if you think about the greatest military operations or the greatest, you know, they, they have this belief system that is I'm loyal to my team. I'm loyal to my peers. One of my favorite coaches, of course, is Pete Carroll. And Pete Carroll, uh, the Seattle Seahawks, he has an assignment where he makes every one of his players create a 25-word personal philosophy. It's very difficult to do. And they have to memorize that, live by that, and share that with the other teammates that they're going to be on the field with. Because, And one of their goals is, is to every person knows their own personal philosophy of how they contribute to the team and what they're supposed to do. Then also everyone understands what everyone else has signed up for. And so now that creates obviously this loyalty to each other, and that's the ultimate goal. One of the uh, virtues in the Samurai Code, as a matter of fact, it's the very first one, is rectitude. And you call this the backbone of the entire cultural idea, right? Yeah. So, so you know, rectitude, there's a lot of different ways we could obviously say this, but it's this idea of being morally correct when it comes to our thinking, you know, righteousness, you know, having this, this kind of positive virtue um, of honor of what we're trying to do. You know, in other words, would be integrity and principle. Um, trustworthiness. I mean, these are all kind of words that really have to do with that. You know, to me, it's about, it, it actually goes a lot back with that Pete Carroll philosophy of what is your individual philosophy? There's a great quote from Steve Jobs where he talks about how you know, he's actually doing this uh, commencement address for um, Stanford. And he's a couple of years away from death. He knows he's going to die. He basically has this famous line that says, don't let the noise from other people's opinions drown out your inner voice. Basically, he's saying, like, you know, a couple years away from death, like, live your life, like, decide what is right for you. What is your code? What is your your path that you're on? And be clear about that path and be bold about that path. And, you know, don't let the voice of other people drown out your inner voice. And, and the reason why that idea of rectitude is so important as far as what are you really trying to do here? Like, what really is your outcome? You know, what is your code on a daily basis as far as how you live your life. Because if you think about it, this is a very, very important thing for people to get when it comes to being a sales warrior, is that I believe uh, being a sales warrior is almost fighting the impossible battle. In, in military world, the last thing you know a country would ever want to do is to fight a war on all fronts. Well, that's really what a sales warrior does. Because a sales warrior you know, has a prospect telling them they're overpriced. They've got customers that tell them that you know, the operations department didn't fulfill the order that they sold them. They've got their boss telling them if they don't make their number, they're going to get fired. They've got their family saying that they work too hard and they're not around. They've got their friends saying that, you know, they can't hang out with them anymore and be friends. You know, they've got their um, other department heads saying they're opening prima donnas. And, and if for some reason they're, they're successful and they're crushing as a sales warrior, then of course they've got their peers potentially saying that, the only reason why they're selling is because they're in a great territory. And so they're really fighting a war on all fronts, this impossible war. And so so that's really it. It's about, again, having that correct behavior or thinking, being, you know, working in a straight line, being purposeful and making your voice stronger than everyone else's. You know, I have on occasion seen some salespeople that were so bought into their organizations and so bought into the philosophy and product that they just couldn't imagine you not wanting to to be a participant in what they had to offer. Well, that just yes, saying that that is the one, that is the one single difference what you just said that separates the warrior from the other salespeople um, is that that they feel like 
you're making the biggest mistake of your life if you don't go with them. What are some of the pitfalls that sales managers or salespeople could fall into if they were trying to to achieve this kind of behavior into their sales culture? I think the biggest pitfall would be, you know, they give people a book to read or they send them to a one day seminar and say, hey, you know, go be warriors. I mean, again, it, it's it's a holistic approach. I mean, you 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 again, you have to teach the salespeople how to think differently. You have to uh, give the skill set to their managers to be coaches. They need to be, you know, the Bill Belichick, the Pete Carroll, the Nick Saban of coaches to train the sales warriors correctly. You you need to, of course, have the right training. You need to have the right culture and support. You got to measure measure the right thing. I mean, there's just there's a lot of factors that need to put into play. And so, you know, the biggest thing I would tell people is that you know if you want to be something truly great, then you got to do great things. You got to do extraordinary things. And so uh, you can't just kind of dabble into something like this. Kevin Davis, president of Top Line Leadership, expands on the importance of the sales manager's role and the skill sets needed to truly become an effective coach. Would you agree that there's a lack of really good sales managers in the workplace today? Yes. And part of the reason is because managing and leading a sales team is a completely different set of skills than selling. And so many sales managers just don't receive the training and education that they need in order to make an educated transition from selling to managing. I mean, a sales manager has enormous influence over the productivity and performance of a team. And so making that manager as productive as he or she can be to give them a plan, to help them to be more focused and to really take a step back and rethink their priorities and engage with the team in a way that enables them to do the things that they can do that other people can't. And that's one of the critical issues, Tony, is that sales managers, there's so much coming at them today that they play defense and they're overwhelmed by everything. And as a result, they end up doing things that consume their time, that prevent them from doing things that nobody else can do except them, which is coach, teach, develop, hire people that have great skills and can then develop and have a coachable way. You know, I mean, hey, if if we have a sales rep on our team who's not coachable, maybe the reason is we haven't been coaching. Yeah. Yeah, so anytime a manager gets in a reactive state, rather than a proactive state, you know, they're starting to tread water. And we know that treading water can only be done for a certain amount of time, right? Well, that's true. And like I said, the overwhelmed aspect of it, it comes at them. And one of the instincts that all sales managers have that they really developed and were rewarded for as salespeople is a high activity level. And they feel good. They often get a jolt of adrenaline, almost a, a feeling of intoxication by being really busy. But ultimately, the question they've got to ask themselves is, is what I'm about to do have a measurable impact on the performance of my team? Really, we have to insert that question into our thinking on a daily basis because all too often the answer to that question is no. And yet these things rob us of time and they take us away from our people. You know, that's what hurts performance. And this 
again, gets back to a core attribute that many sales managers developed and were rewarded for as salespeople, and that is 100% responsibility. They're responsible people. And so what happens is a salesperson brings them a problem. Tell me, Tony, if this sounds familiar. Hey, Tony, we have a problem. Right. <laughs> you know, the, the use of the pronoun we and because you don't have all the information you need to make a decision, what many managers will do is tell me, hey, Kevin, let me look into it and I'll get back to you. And in the blink of an eye, two things have just happened, which typically are descriptive of a subordinate in a relationship. Number one, you accepted a delegation from a salesperson. And number two, you agreed to give that salesperson a progress report. Some of these things are just really, really simple. You've got to rethink how you're handling the day-to-day -day issues that come at you. A better way to handle that situation, what I call the two magic questions. And that is when a sales rep brings you an issue, you say, what have you done about it so far? What do you think ought to be done? And if you just ask those two questions, then you're at the very least involving the salesperson in the solution. And in many cases, you know, they're closer to the problem anyway. Why are we taking all this stuff on our plate? Right. What's the biggest skill set change that happens going from salesperson to sales manager? Well, they have to recognize that their number one priority is to teach and develop rather than to sell. You know, they continue to do what comes naturally. Well, one example is they chase big deals. A lot of times this is caused by their companies. Companies are saying, Hey, sales managers, uh, we need your team to produce more. So get out there and figure out who has the best opportunities and get out there and close them. So that's a case where the company actually distracts the sales manager. But think about where that sales manager then goes. He or she goes to the salespeople on their team who were working the largest deals, who conversely are the people who probably need the least amount of coaching. <laughs> the salespeople a manager really ought to be focused on are the B's and the C players that have the greatest potential for improvement. So really the key transition is the mental one that says my number one priority today is to help at least one salesperson get better today than they were yesterday. That could be set daily activity goals. It could be working with them to develop their skills in a certain aspect of the sales process. It could be observing and coaching and talking to them. But ultimately, coaching has proven through research to have a significant impact on the performance of a sales team and the retention of high performers. You know, at some point, we've got to say, are we the best coach that we can be? And if the answer is no, Perhaps it's our fault. What are we doing to get in the way of releasing our brakes and allowing ourselves to become the best sales coach we can be? Managers of all kinds tell me they're coaching all the time, and I don't believe that that's the case. And I think they may be doing some things that they would categorize as coaching, but what are, you, what are they saying? Well, the Sales Management Association did a study on when their sales managers are coaching salespeople, what is it that they're talking about? I mean, what are the topics? And they did this big survey and they gathered all this information and they boiled it down to 13 different topics. And 
the first several, and I don't remember off the hand all of them, obviously, but the first couple are questioning about a deal, talking about an account plan. It's deal-specific conversations. And the interesting thing was that way down near the bottom of the list, in the least frequent topic that sales managers discuss was identifying skill deficiencies. And so what we're doing is we're talking about deals and we think we're coaching, but we're not really having that second focus, that second mentality of what does the salesperson lack in skills or attitude that is preventing him or her from moving forward. We're so focused on the deal and the discussion that we forget about the development. So how do they narrow down and identify those most effective topics that they should be addressing then? Well, I think first and foremost, they have to change their cadence. What I mean by that is, you know, their instinct is to pay attention to deals that are approaching the bottom of the pipeline and getting ready to close. And we want to get in there and try to close those deals. But the die has already been cast on 90% of those opportunities. And if a mistake was made by the salesperson, it was probably made a week, a month, even two months ago, and we're too late. So we're coaching the wrong end of the sales process. We should be more focused on the front end, and that's less interesting to us, but yet those are the critical skills in consultative selling, our account penetration, getting appointments with key decision makers, sending great memos of understanding that describe the customer's discontent in a way that is compelling for that decision maker positioning ourselves and really the whole sales differentiation equation, all that happens long before many sales managers really start paying attention to a deal. And that's a huge miss. If you would like to hear more of the interviews from Jason Forrest or Kevin Davis, visit our website at clearvisiondevelopment.com. We'll be right back with this week's leadership lesson. We fit a lot of life into our Subaru Forester. Over the years, we trusted it to carry and protect the things that were most important to us. We always knew we had a lot of life ahead of us. That's why we chose a car we knew would be there for us through it all. Welcome to the all-new 2019 Subaru Forester, the SUV for all you love. Test drive one today at University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. From here, been here, always will be here. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. Today I want to talk to you about something I think is incredibly important, and that is the decision to go into management. Many times we as employees think about going into a leadership position or into a management position. And I'm talking about a formal titled position. So you're in sales and you decide 
that you want to be a sales manager or the opportunity comes up for you to become a sales manager. And so for a lot of employees, what that means is, so we think about more prestige, we think about a new title on our business card, we think about the new office we're going to have, maybe our nameplate on the outside of our door, we think about the increased paycheck, so more money, this, that, and the other. But what we don't think about, and what I really want to get across to you today is, in many cases, when you go into management, you are giving up one thing for another. So in other words, you're giving up something that you really love doing. So if you're in sales and you really, really love sales, and then you make the decision to go into sales management, you're going to have to develop a love and passion for management and leadership, not just sales. So when you're in sales and you love being a salesperson, you like going out, making calls, uh, working with your clients, like being on the go quite a bit. I'm speaking in very broad strokes. I'm just trying to get my overall concept across. Those are all great things. But when you go into management, then you're going to have to develop a love for working with other people developing a love for getting results through other people. You're going to have to um, develop a love for team-oriented results and numbers. So you're going from an individual standpoint to more of an individual slash team standpoint. So if you're really good at your job, many times you're not prepared to move into a job you're going to have to develop a love for if you've never been a manager before. So, you know, just a couple of questions maybe you should ask yourself if a management opportunity comes up and you've never been in management before. Ask yourself a couple of questions. One question might be, why do you want to be in management? Why do you want to manage? Another question might be, what job skills that you love are you going to be giving up to transition into the management role. So look at it this way. As a manager, you're going to be giving up the things that got you promoted, right? The things that got you noticed and the things that made you stand out are not necessarily things that are going to come in handy for you in a management role. And here's, here's the thing. Most of the time, I'd say eight times out of 10, Nobody ever trains you to be a manager. You're just good at what you do in the role that you're playing today. And someone says, you've been here the longest and you're the best we got. So guess what? We're now going to touch you on the shoulder with our sword and we're going to anoint you manager. Because after all, we don't have anybody else as good as you in your current role. But what they don't tell you is your new role is going to be significantly different and we may have or may not have prepared you for that new uh, management position or role. So you got to be comfortable with letting go of what you do well in order to help other people do what you used to do well, if that makes sense. Another question you need to ask yourself is, where am I going to go for support? So I'm going to be in this brand new frontier, this brand new uh, management position, this brand new level of responsibility. Who's going to support me? And this is especially tough if you look around and you see other managers that are in the same position you're in. Nobody trained them either. 
and they may not be particularly good at what they're doing, although they used to be very good at what they did before they became a manager, right? So there's really no place for you to go. So you got to think about that. You got to think, where am I going to go for support? So you can look for management training programs. You can read. You can develop yourself. You can attend workshops. You can do a whole lot of things that will be big assistance for you. Final thought, those who choose to become managers eventually discover one of the hidden pleasures of being a manager, and that is leading a team to results. So just know you're going to give up some things in order to learn some new things if you want to go into management. And so my question to you is, do you really enjoy what you're doing? And some people take the management position for all the wrong reasons. So they'll take the management position because, A, they get an office. Two, they get a a new business card with a position on it. And three, sometimes you even get more money. So those three things are no good reasons for taking a management position because the most important thing about your job is how much you enjoy it and how much you love it and how much passion you can direct toward it. And sometimes you can't do that if you don't enjoy the things that the job is asking you to do. So here's here's a couple of things that I just want to give you to think about. How have you done as far as when you're the one that has to, the buck has to stop with you and you have to be the one to make the final decision and you may have to make the big call. How have you done with that in the past in your life and in your career? Because when you become a, a manager, you're going to have three, four, five, maybe seven people coming to you to make decisions a lot. And the buck's going to stop with you. So how have you done with those kinds of things in the past, just in your in your business and personal life? And evaluate that. Now, you can always get better with proper development and proper coaching. You can get better, but just assess yourself. Do you enjoy making those final buck stops here decisions? Because you're going to be doing that a lot. How do you accept consequences for your actions? Are you pretty accountable? Are you willing to take on the responsibility when the team loses as well as when the team wins? Because when the team wins, it's them. And when the team loses, it's you. Just to draw a sports analogy, and this is an extreme one, but the team hardly ever gets fired. You know, you don't pick up the newspaper one the next day and the St. Louis Cardinals team has been fired. No, it's usually the headline is the coach or manager has been let go because the team failed. So you have to ask yourself, how do you do with accountability? Because when you move into a management position, the accountability factor goes way up. Think of a time when someone in authority did not accept their consequences and what effect did that have on you and the organization? So you're in a perfect position right now to look at leaders around you. And if, if you think of a time when they didn't do that, they didn't have accountability and how that affected you, that's going to build your empathy for people in your position when you become a manager, because all that is going to then reverse itself. Instead of you being the one affected by your manager's decisions, your decisions are going to start affecting people that are in your former position where you used to be. So if you think about that stuff now, that's going to pay you big dividends when you start supervising and being responsible for a team of people that are doing what you're doing now. And then um, finally, taking responsibility begins with accepting the responsibility to manage and lead in the first place. And you just have to ask yourself, am I ready to put that mantle on? You know, am I ready to be touched on the shoulder with the sword and be anointed for a management position and the accountability and responsibility that goes with it? 
for both results for the company and results for people. Because right now, you might be in a position where all of your results are going upward. So you're responsible for pleasing your supervisor and you're responsible for pleasing the organization. But as you move up the line, you're going to be going in two directions and not just one. So you're going to be responsible for pleasing those people above you, and you're going to be responsible for pleasing those people below you. So it's just some things to be thinking about as you make the decision to become a manager or not become a manager. Well, that's our show today. We're brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. On behalf of our associate producer, Whitney Coker, and chief producer, William Foster, I'm your host, Tony Richards, and don't you dare forget, everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.